Well, good evening, everybody. Hi, I'm Jimmy Bratcher. I'm glad that you're here. It's a very special day around the Bratcher household because today is Sherry Bratcher's birthday. So, you know, the kids wanted to take the girl out for dinner. So we are out at her favorite Kansas City Italian joint called Garozzo's. And I was thinking about I needed to, to do a song. You know, I've written several songs to Sherry. And I think this might have been the very first one that I wrote specifically for her. It's on the red CD and it's called I Love My Baby. And since I didn't have a good, uh, sorry, I'm trying to multitask here. Since I didn't have a good recording of it, I thought, well, shoot, I'll just have to pick up an acoustic guitar and play it. So it goes like this. She got a long blonde hair and a sweet disposition. Y'all to see what she does in the kitchen. Grits and gravy, chicken too. My baby even cooks me barbecue. I love my baby. Yeah, I love my baby. Yeah, I love my baby. My baby loves me. We never ever Fuss and fight, we learned a long time ago how to get it right. Hugs and kisses, sweet perfume. My baby loves me, so I sing her this tune. I love my baby. Yeah, I love my baby. Yeah, I love my baby. And my baby loves me. She's always the perfect lady, always she's my baby. She looks at me and it's plain to see, she's the one that makes me weak in the knees. That's right, baby. that you decided to spend the after the evening with me. It is extremely cold here in Kansas City and as typical Missouri weather is we went from 
almost 70 degrees on Monday to it's five today, you know, or something, some, you know, it's colder than nonsense. That's what I'm saying. It's so cold, old joke. It's so cold, all the politicians got their hands in their own pocket. Wouldn't that be a treat? Well, we have been talking for the month of February, the love month, about relationships. And I can't believe it that in this entire month, I haven't really focused on the big deal. We haven't talked about the most important part of relationships, which is love. Love, true love. And so today I want to talk about this. So I know you've heard me say these things before, but love is the motive, God's motive in creation. Everything that he did, he did it out of the motive of love. And so, hang on a second, I thought I shut my phone off. I just had a reminder pop up there. But everything he did and has done in creation on planet Earth is reflective of his motive. Why he did it was because he loved us in John 3.16. But also, the motive of the gospel is love. And so everything that Jesus did, he had this motive, and his motive was love. And so one thing that I know about love is that it never fails. I call it the indefensible strategy of heaven. So we're commanded in Ephesians 5, 1, and 2 to walk in love. It says this in the New King James. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And I love the way that this verse starts out because it says that we are to be imitators of God as dear children. So we are to imitate God, do what he does. That's what Jesus did. He said, look, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The works that I do, they're not my works, they're the Father's works. And so we are to do that same thing in that we are ambassadors of for God in Christ, reconciling the world to him. And so it says, you know, the word to be imitators of God as dear, dear, dear children. I can say this. Dear children. So we're to do it in a way that is reflective of our childlike wonder. You know, we walk outside, we look around, we look around at how blessed we are. And it's like, it's just a wonder. I mean, we have this incredible, all of us have this incredible life. And we are to not only just imitate God and have this wonder of him, of this awe of his presence, but we are to also walk in love. And so in order to walk in, to, to be in love and walk in love, we have to first define love. And love is not only an emotion, but it is an action. But we can only define love by looking at the definer of love, which is God himself. And, you know, one of the things that I like to ask 
is where do we get our definition of love? And, you know, this ain't Hollywood. So you can't go to Hollywood or the culture to really define love. You know, I always find it funny when I'm watching a movie, you know, and there's a, a scene of lust or primarily or love. And this couple, you know, they crash into each other, you know, they're body slamming each other into walls. With one swoop, they clear off a table and then they go at it. It's like, well, I only have one question about that. How many of you have actually tried that? Because it, I have it. I have, I have this thing called wisdom and it doesn't work. I mean, the scenes that Hollywood give us and our culture are, are not what love looks like. So God is the author of love and he defines himself that way. So if we're going to learn about love, why not go to the source? and hear what he has to say. One of my friends said this about love. He said, the love of God is a value that is expressed through action. God even tells us what it looks like. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, New Living Translation says this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud, or rude, it does not demand its own way, is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So, we find in this passage of scripture what the definition of love is, that love, and I, I love the way that my friend described this. He said that, you know, the love of God is a value that is expressed in action. So love is a value that expressed in action. It's not only a feeling. Yes, in love, we will feel things, but that's the result of the value that we have for the other person and the action slash love that we are giving them. When God says, I love you, and when we say, I love you to each other, it should be, I love you, and I am going to be these things to you. And that's part of the, part of the issue of where we get into it, because we... We want that reciprocation, that reciprocal love to for us first before we're willing to step up and say, hey, these are the things that I'm going to be with you. You know, one of the things that um, I think, and I've encouraged hundreds of couples, and I used to do, like when we were on staff at the church, uh, I did... I did the, the, I did, Sherry and I did most all of the marriage counseling and I did the majority of the weddings. I was even a, a wedding planner. It's like, it's crazy. But, but one of the things that I, I tried to convince couples of, it's like, look, this is a really important day. And the thing that is important is what you're going to do with each other. And one of the things that you're going to do with each other is you are going to make vows to one another. And those vows are, in a sense, the boundaries or the goals 
or the values of our relationship with each other. And I want you to remember those vows. I don't want this to be such a, you know, is everything perfect? We'll strive for that perfection. But in reality, where the rubber meets the road, it's going to come down to those things that we commit to one another that we say, I do. I am going to be this for you. I'm going to do these actions for you. So when we look at God's definition of love, you know, he defines love with the word agape. And agape is the type of love that is demonstrated by God towards us and by Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 or 8 is the defining, definitive, new covenant definition of love. And love only really happens when we are so taken by the one that we rise up and say, I love you. I can't, you know, I have to give this expression of agape to you. And agape, really, it means value, love, and action. So when we look at these things, so there's how many of them? Let me see here. I might not get through all of those. There's 16 components in 1 Corinthians 13. And so I want to I just go through it. These are characteristics that we develop. They, are, uh, they become part of our nature, the nature of our relationship with each other as we do them. In, as we carry them in our hearts and as we express them to each other by our actions. Number one, I don't know why Paul started with this, but it's like, this is the deal. Love suffers long. It means to be patient, to be mild and slow in avenging. You know, I know in my relationship with Sherry, that so many times I've been so stinking uptight. I mean, I'm like, ah, you know, I'm just like, a, I'm freaking out because I'm looking at everything that's going on. And all I can say is stop the crazy train in, in my emotional experience. I was, I thought Sherry was walking in. I was going to talk today about emotional uh, well, let me see. I got it written down here. I can't remember it. I have to, I'm having a, one of them senior moment things, but uh, emotional faith, having faith for our emotions and coming to that place of believing God for stability emotionally so that we can not only uh, have an action to our love, but we have an emotion of feeling to our love that we have faith to be able to express. And a lot of times these things that we're going to talk about here are negative. We, we do them in a negative way and they come across that way. And one of the processes that I had to go through was I, I started identifying these emotions that were contrary to love. And then I began to meditate or create a picture of what I would look like fulfilling the love emotions in myself, you know, and expressing those things and, and expressing those things to myself. And then I began to believe that it was possible for me to see those things manifested in my 
emotions. And definitely this one, it's like, you know, we I had to make the decision. It's like, I'm going to quit being so demanding. I'm going to stop being so short in my demands. It's like, I want this, and I want this right now. I got to have this right now. So I had to... I had to put the brakes, I had to pull the lever back, you know, in those old, those old Western movies, you know. When the train's running away, you know, and the guy's got the lever by both hands and he's pulling back the brakes and he's saying, stop this crazy train. So I've had to do that in my life. So it goes on, love, is, love suffers long. And we know patience, part of the fruit of the spirit, long suffering, all of those things. And... It's, it's so wonderful to be able to manifest patience in your life. And I'm an impatient person, and all of us, and I think we're, I've said this before, but I think we are programmed for results. We all need results. We all want results. But results can't be the standard that we judge things by. God's word has to be the standard. And if he says that part of the fruit of our spirit or the manifestation that gives us power to function in the family is patience, then we need that over our demands. So number two, and it's kind. Love suffers long and is kind. And this is an interesting word because this is the only time this word is used in the Greek in the New Testament, which makes it very important. It means how, you know, how much, let me just ask you this question, how much could we accomplish in our lives with a demonstration of kindness? I mean, I'll tell you what, that is like one of the most powerful things you can have in your relationship, you know. Uh, I know for myself that there are many, many times when I have, when I am under the annoying. Now, just so you'll know, I didn't say anointing. I said I am under the annoying, and I'm getting on Sherry's last nerve, and we're about to get into a knockdown, drag out ride on the crazy train. And all of a sudden, somebody will have this, Sherry will have this manifestation of kindness. And it kind, you know, that kind word in the middle of a battle is so rare and so powerful. So we need to get off the crazy train. Um and stop all that stuff. We need to demonstrate in a work of faith our kindness to people. And man, I mean, I'm preaching to myself right now. It's like, ugh, I'm, I want this. I want this to be uh, my legacy. You know, I want that to be my legacy. It wasn't that, you know, that people remember me. It's like he was a religious man. He was a man of faith. It's like, well, I appreciate that, and I, I, I really do, but I want to be a man of kindness, and I want to be kind to people, regardless of where we're at. Number three, it goes on. It says that love does not envy. 
It means to be heated or to, to boil with envy, hatred, or anger. You know, envy means, um, one, one way it's translated as negative zeal. So we got this enthusiasm, we got this zeal, but we've got it with this uptight envy that causes us to boil over. And that doesn't have any productive fruit in our relationship. You know, I always go back to James. I talked about it last time, James 1.20. For the wrath of man will not produce the righteousness of God. Meaning, all of your anger, all of those emotions associated with and expressions, emotions and expressions associated with anger, are not going to make things as they should be. There is a place for, for heated anger in life. But in our relationships, when we are angry with each other, guess what? It is not going to make things the way they should be. It's not going to produce the righteousness that God desires for us to have in our relationships. So we have to stop that crazy train when we're getting ready to explode. And we use those expressions from our emotions to really basically try to uh, influence the other person into getting our own way. Number four. So how many did I say that was on here? 16. All right, we're going to try to cover eight of these and stop. Number four. It does not parade itself. And the definition of that means an, a self-display exoling extolling oneself excessively, or it's all about me, my feelings, my needs. It sounds to me like, you know, somebody standing up for their rights. It doesn't, you know, just speaking about being right, you know, it doesn't, you know, I'm right doesn't matter how it makes you feel if you're not protecting the value of the other person. And that, you know, that's a huge statement right there in our culture that is needed right at this moment. You know, we have everybody's fighting for their right to be right. And they're doing it by devaluing people that don't agree with them. And whether they're right or wrong, we can't take that course because that's not walking in love. That's I want my I want to be right, and that's all that matters. And I believe that to a certain extent, some of the disdain that people outside of the church actually have for people in the church is we come across as those who know it all. We think we are right and there's no room for any discussion. And that's why I talked about the God card on Sunday. You know, when we throw down that God card, we're saying, I've heard God, God is right, all discussions off the table. We can't talk about this anymore. And people a lot of times use that as a weapon. But our, you know, I tell, I tell, I, for myself personally, I look at it like this. Jesus is the only one that is right. 
and he has chosen to let me know what is right on a need-to-know basis. And so all I can do is follow him and accept the gift of his righteousness in my life and try to, in my rightness, not, you know, in being right, have these values working in my life. So I have this love that suffers long, this love that is kind, this love that does not envy or parade itself. Number five, it is not puffed up. And man, I don't, you know, you want to find somebody that doesn't like this stuff, it's, it's Sherry Bratcher. And, uh, and so, you know, getting around um, puffed up preachers is like, you know, get the heck away from me because I have zero tolerance for that. And I've been around some really super important people that in the church world and outside of the church world and those that come across as arrogant and self-willed and all of those things, it's like, you know, they're puffed up. It means to bear oneself loftily, loftily, to be, you know, got yourself up there on this place. Don't touch the anointed man of God. It's like, I got no time for that. When we look at each other, what do we see? We see flawed people full of mistakes. Do we see flawed people full of mistakes or precious people that are valued, loved, and respected? Even those who come across as being puffed up. Number six, does not behave rudely. This is an action word, a behavior, a manifestation of an inward belief. To act, it means to act unbecomingly, not appropriate. So we have to be those people that do not behave rudely. And it's, you know, it's one of those things. We, Sherry and I, when we first went to, started attending the church in St. Joseph, where we were on staff, St. Joseph, Missouri, um, we, you know, and I've told this story before, but it was our custom to go to church an hour early. Why? Because we want to hang out with people. We want to meet people. We want to talk to people. That's part of the having a relationship. And when we first went to the church there, there wasn't anybody. Nobody talked to us. We'd go an hour early and we'd sit there by ourselves and nobody would come up and speak to us or talk to us. It all had to be something that was self-initiated. And it, well, it came across as is, uh, you know, there's all kinds of things that it came across as is insecurity, but it was just, you know, imp- inappropriate behavior for believers to come across that way and not engage other people who maybe, you know, it's, it's a lot of times we just put it off as, well, I'm not a people person. And I'm like, okay, but God is. So maybe you've got unbelief in your life or maybe you've got some character traits, some learned behavior that you've learned that doesn't allow you, that's a barrier or a boundary that you set that doesn't allow you to be interacting and having relationships with people. And so that's a 
unbelief thing. <laughs> you know, I don't know how else to say it. If God's that way and we're to be conformed, you know, we're made in his image and to be conformed into the image of Jesus and Jesus is that way, then we're supposed to be that way. You know, that's just, that's just the way it is. And so, you know, there's parts of that whole deal and that exchange and that's uncomfortable. I don't like it, you know, and I don't like to be, uh, you know, in that situation, but because of who he is and me being reflective of his character and nature, his ambassador, then I have to say not my will, but thy will be done. Number seven, doesn't seek its own. Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind esteem others better than himself. And that's pretty plain. You know, we're to have this, this humility that is unspoken in having esteem for others and esteeming the, them better than ourselves. That's a, that's a whole lot of faith living right there. But that's the way Jesus saw us. It wasn't his will. It was the Father's will. And he was willing to lay down his life and give himself for us. One more, and then we'll stop, and I'll finish the rest of this on Sunday. Number eight, is not provoked means to irritate, to provoke, to arouse, to anger. I know, you know, I know there are things that, <laughs> that Sherry can do that nobody else can do that uh, push my buttons. I mean, they get on my last nerve. And so, you know, it says here that we are not provoked. And so how do, we, how do we not be provoked? Well, we have to use our faith. We have to use our faith in not being provoked. And when, we, when things happen to us that we respond, you know, that we respond uh, in provocation, then... We have to, sorry, there's something happening upstairs. If you hear that grinding noise, Sherry is making lunch. So whenever we're provoked, we have the power by the Holy Spirit in how we respond to being provoked. And we can control those things, but not if we don't know that we have power emotionally in our lives and that we don't have to respond in a way that is ugly, you know, and that's, that's some, you know, people say, well, I want a deep things. I want maturity in my life. Well, this is where that happens. You know, it's one thing to have it outwardly. It's another thing to have it inwardly. And so I just wanted to encourage us as we go through these, and I'll wrap this up on Sunday, and then we're going to get into some great stuff about focusing on Jesus, getting ready for Easter and a resurrection and Pentecost in May and all of those things that are happening. But 
So anyway, tonight I want to close in prayer. Um, I want you all to just continue to remember our friend Pam Summers. Pam is a rock star of faith, and she is fighting. And I just believe that there's a miracle for Pam in her future. And, and that miracle will result in healing, restoration, and health. And, and, and that really not just for Pam, but for all of us. You know, we all have issues that we're struggling with, but those things, healing, health, so beyond just the miracle of the moment when we need it, health for a continued life and lifestyle that is healthy, and restoration of all of those things that have been damaged because of whatever. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you, first of all, for Sherry, for her birthday. Or may she have just a wonderful day and uh, be blessed by her children and family being with her. Lord, thank you for that. Father, I pray for Pam and for every one of us or that we would experience those things, healing, health, and restoration. And Lord, we thank you that you accomplished all that you did for us and you demonstrated the reality of your love for us by your actions. And so, Lord, I pray right now that we would be those people that experience your love in our hearts and that so transforms us that we are examples, witnesses of the reality of your love in us for everyone that we come in contact to. Friend and foe, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish these things in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I will see you Sunday morning with Sunday Good News. We'll wrap up these other eight things. And just remember this, God loves you. Thank you for being here. We love you. You're such an important part of our lives. And hopefully the weather's going to break soon here in Missouri. I can get out on the deck and start doing some cooking, some grilling and chilling, some picking on the porch and some other things. And we'll just have a good time. God bless you all. Love you so much.